Greetings to everyone, everywhere. Let's begin our sitting as a few other people join us. And I will uh, suggest, um, based on the uh, reflections I'd like to offer today, that we chant the four practice principles uh, at the end of our sitting rather than the verse of the robe. So we'll begin with caught in the self-centered dream um, uh, following our sitting.
caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. caught in the self-centered dream. Uh, today I'd like to, to speak a little bit or reflect on and ask you to reflect on this idea of uh, dreaming and being awake. You know, the metaphor of awakening is a very strong one in Buddhism. We uh, wake up, someone is liberated by awakening. And as we were just chanting, when you hear the line, caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, it's not a difficult line over time to understand, certainly intellectually, but even from a practice and lived perspective, that if we're too tightly caught in self-centeredness, that this is going to separate us from life as it is, and we will suffer. And the second line, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. That's a clinging to our personal perspective that keeps that kind of dream going from which we could awaken. And the story of the Buddha's awakening implies that all of us embody uh, the possibility of that very same shift, which is the Buddha's awakening, that shift in our perceptions and our attitudes towards the ordinary day-to-day -day world, which the Buddha found to be both inherently deceptive, like a dream, and entirely complete and worthy of unsparing love. And this is uh, the, the sort of uh, seeming paradox, or at least two sides to this face of what this awakening reflects. And the fact that the Buddha a human being woke up using that language. That awakening was a profound shift in perception and therefore attitudes towards 
the everyday life that he and all of all of us meet and that we ha have inherently in our bodies the same possibility uh, to see the deceptive or dreamlike nature of existence and also to find it lacking nothing and worthy of our devotion and love. <clears throat> what the Buddha discovered apparently when he woke up or what he woke up to remains uh, maybe from our everyday ordinary perspective the sense that there's an um, an awesome and unfathomable wonder that's hidden right before our eyes here in this fleeting, fragile world where we can delight in our gifts, um, where we also suffer, and where we die. It's, it's all contained here. And we can wake up to a very different perspective on this life. Very famously, at the very end of the Diamond Sutra, one of the large uh, texts from early Buddhism, there's a question. Uh, one of the disciples asked the Buddha, how are we to contemplate conditioned existence in this fleeting world? It's the, the primary question, uh, the fundamental inquiry. Well, what do we make of this? How do we meet it? How do we contemplate our conditioned existence in this fleeting world? And there are various translations. It's quite poetic, but the, the translation that I, I chose today of those last few lines, the Buddha says, this is how to contemplate our conditioned existence in this fleeting world. Like a tiny drop of dew or a bubble floating in a stream, like a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, or a flickering lamp, an illusion, a phantom, or a dream. Like a tiny drop of dew, or a bubble floating in a stream, like a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, or a flickering lamp, an illusion, a phantom, or a dream. This is how we are to view our, our life. And each of these things is something that is, uh, we, we would take as, as real, as part of life. And yet, they're profoundly, they, they exist in response to the conditions that create them, and they're very fleeting. A little drop of dew, a bubble floating down the stream, a flash of lightning, a flickering lamp, an illusion, a phantom, and a dream. And so the other aspect of this metaphor is the dream-like nature of reality. The dream-like nature, although it is our reality. How do we wake up? And it is the question I've been asking myself. Do we wake up from the dream, or can we dream ourselves awake? because of our uh, creativity, 
and the way that our minds um, are creating our reality. So here are two dreams, actual dreams that I've had. I think maybe I've mentioned at least one of them before, but they came in a sequence. And so here's a personal example from my own dream life or way of looking at things that, that I think touches on the, the questions that I'm asking about waking. So in the first dream, I, I was leading a retreat, <laughs> not too far different from my everyday life. And as I was attempting to um, wrap up or things were nearing the end, people were peppering me with last minute questions about the Dharma uh, as if they were kind of grasping for one last piece as things were ending. Um, and I could tell that everybody was, as usual, we're longing to be more at ease in our lives and to understand how to open to the freedom that the Buddha taught and these practices seem to, to promise. And it was kind of a, a grasping and a, a feverish nature to it. And I could tell in the dream, I kind of abruptly turned almost not exactly irritated, but kind of a, a sense of urgency. And I spontaneously just said, you have to learn to respond to life in each moment without a self. You have to learn to respond to life in each moment without a self. Now, I repeated this phrase very emphatically in the dream, emphasizing that this was the key to opening the door to freedom that that people were asking about. You have to learn to respond to life without a self. This is the basic teaching. Now, this isn't a revolutionary statement, of course, uh, but the way it came up through me in the dream and the clarity of its truth was kind of stunning. And everybody knows that we can have experiences in a dream that don't survive the light of morning. <laughs> But this one did. And there were other things in the dream I can't remember, of course, but I do recall making this statement really strongly as I turned to leave the group. It was kind of a laser-like parting shot. Uh, but it came back to hit me too. You have to learn to respond to life in each moment without a self. And then the next day, or very near, maybe uh, only a couple of days away, I had a second dream. And I'll, I'll tie these together. And in the second dream, my dear teacher, Blanche Hartman, uh, had, had come back, now being dead for several years, and we had Dukasan, our practice discussion. And it was amazingly uh, beautiful, and I felt the most exquisite peace being in her presence. We were in our formal robes, like we'd been at the San Francisco Zen Center when we were in Sashin and formal training retreats. And at the end of the meeting, uh, we did our bows, and for some reason we began to take off our okesas, the, the formal outer robe, and there's a very ritualistic way of folding and taking care of the of Buddha's robe. And I realized as we did this that the one that I was wearing was, was not mine. It was old, 
and um, it had been there a long time apparently and I had somehow been wearing it but it was someone else's and I knew in that moment that it was time for me to make my own and seeing that I was realizing this uh, Blanche was very encouraging by saying that my ability to work with fabric was unusual in some way uh, very precise and somehow tender and that we had shared the most while she was alive while we sewed together and this is true all those years and so i went to the sewing room which was a new one it wasn't the one that we had spent so many time in and then she was gone again There's, there's a dream in retreat. You have to learn to respond to life without a self. And then the one in which Blanche came back and I realized I was wearing something old and it was time to put on something new to make it new. We're always becoming new. This fleeting world, like a bubble in a stream like a flash of lightning, a dewdrop, impermanent and interdependent. And we have to find our own way. We can wear the old teachings, someone else's. But eventually we, we do have to make our own vows. Hopefully emerging from something really reliable the teachings that have been carried forward, our teachers in whom we place our trust. And in doing so, we find that, that paradox that was expressed even in the Buddha's awakening, that you're never really alone, that your life is profoundly infused by the lives of all those that come before you and will come after you, and everything that is supporting your being alive now. You're never really alone, and yet you're totally and solely responsible for your life. No one else can do it for you. And wrapping yourself in the teachings, embodying those teachings, realizing them as your embodied life, without creating some new spiritual self, another self that you now call spiritual. We become rather sort of like an appropriate functioning, not a function even. It's not that nominal of functioning. Without creating some new self that's now spiritual, now Buddhist, now Christian, now whatever. We're asked to learn to respond through our practices, through our practices together, through our training, the way that we embody the forms and live together in retreat, even online, with immediacy and intimacy. As we learn, <clears throat> excuse me, which seems very counterintuitive, that there's nothing to protect if we're not creating and clinging to and maintaining a separate self, what, what would you protect? And there's nothing to gain if it's all given here now. 
And yet there's everything to lose, which is mainly everything that you cling to and create over and over again. And we awake without the creation of new strategies. Spiritual practice is not some new, better coping strategies to take care of your stress or relax or quiet your mind. Our practices don't create some new and better version of yourself. Finally, as if there's some finality and way to finally reach something that's completed, we become a responsive and receptive functioning, which is, by any measure, wise and compassionate, precisely because it's not based in an individual separate self. It's not formed out of a self-centered dream. All selfing is dreaming. And there's no new personal perspective, which we call an awake one. We had an asleep perspective now. It's not a personal perspective. It's the inconceivable embodied opening. So are you being dreamed awake? Are you sleeping more deeply? Uh, I would say, at the risk of being critical or having an edge about something, uh, so many practices which are available these days dream us into another provisional truth. They're protective uh, practices in which we're given new beliefs or a new hope, which isn't really worthy of our deepest faith. Some fresh set of behaviors, some better coping, as if some much improved self will carry us through the difficulties. You have to learn to respond in every moment without a self. You have to take off the old robe and find your own. And the teachings and the teachers will encourage you and reflect back your very best qualities. And then they will disappear. And you're left in that, in this case, sewing room alone. And yet profoundly supported by everything. What is it to be dreamed awake? To awaken from the dream, but to be dreamed awake. Uh, it's such a, a paradox. In another sutra, in the Lankavatara Sutra, there's an enigmatic line that says, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. 
Things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise. Like a bubble in the stream, like a phantom, like a flash of lightning in a summer cloud, like a dream. And yet, they are exactly themselves, and so are we. If we can pay attention. If we, in the parlance that we're talking about, wake up through our practices. There's a beautiful line in the Gospel of Mark in the Christian tradition that says, we see and see, but do not perceive. We hear and hear, but do not understand. We can use these embodied perceptual apparatuses to meet the world, but sometimes don't understand its fullness. We don't, uh, as the Buddha did, uh, see that each thing is inherently deceptive and yet complete and entirely worthy of our unsparing love. Mary Oliver says it this way, Ten times a day, something happens to me like this, some strengthening throb of amazement, some good, sweet, empathic ping and swell. This is the first and the wildest and wisest thing I know, that the soul exists and is built entirely out of attentiveness. And without debating about the existence of soul particularly, I think she's meaning that when you're a responsive and reflective function in the world, that often each day, some strengthening throb of amazement, embodied a throb of amazement, some ping and swell that's good and sweet. And this is the wildest and wisest thing I know, that there is a self that exists, but it's built and contingent on attentiveness. It's both real and unreal. It's a dream, and yet it exists. This is our, our question. And it comes down to things that are quite tender. And by the way, a recommendation here in the midst of these teachings, there's a 31-minute um, a documentary done in 2017, released in 2018, just the year before Ramdas died. It's on Netflix. It's called Ram Das Going Home. And it's the last uh, film of his, um, a little mini documentary of some of his last times. And you see the sense of dreamlike nature, and yet an ordinary life fully lived. Ram Das Going Home is its name. And then most tenderly, as we live with this question of the evanescent, fleeting nature of reality, and yet the complete fullness of reality, which is worthy of all of our love, it's not to be dismissed, is encapsulated in only the way these brief Zen poems can do. Kobayashi Isa, who was one of the great haiku poets and um, short poem form poets of Japan, he lived from 1763 to 1828, 
And early in his life, his wife uh, was pregnant and bore a child that died at birth. One of the most heartbreaking things one could imagine. This is his poem. This dewdrop world is nothing but a dewdrop world. And yet, and yet, this dewdrop world, like a bubble in a stream, like a flash of lightning, like a phantom, like a dream, is nothing but a dewdrop world. And yet, And yet we're here in these bodies and our hearts can be broken. It is worthy of all of our love, even if it seems like a dream. How do we learn to live and respond and offer ourselves to the world without the mediation of a self? And yet how do we take care of this self and make it new each, each day? without clinging to the self-centered dream. This is our, this is our inquiry. Uh, just like I did with Blanche in that dream, and just like all those people did in the first dream in the retreat, please feel free to raise your hand. Come forward. If there are things that uh, you want to reflect on on your own, in your own life, You're dreaming yourself awake. Hello, Monica. Hi, Flint. I, last week, I had a dream. I think I dreamed myself awake with, hmm. so when you were telling your story, I was going, whoa. Um, I've been thinking lately, um, having these feelings of I'm not, not um, helping people enough or as much as I used to, and um, realize now it, part of it is the stress of COVID's just making me more sensitive to everything. But I so I was having those thoughts, and then um, a few nights ago. I had a dream where um, I was in a room and sitting in a classroom in a air type thing. And then there were different people up front and one um, was a woman giving birth. And all of a sudden my body just sort of melded out of the chair and went up next to her and helped her. And then another a guy was up there and and I didn't have any control over this. It was just, and then it was like, oh, there she goes again. And my body sort of melted and went up and, and helped him. And when I, when I woke up, I just realized just, just this, what, what I'm doing now is, is, is just fine. You know, this is a really intense, stressful time. And um, to not worry about it, <laughs> that, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just like, I've been taught, you know, I'm fine just the way I am. Um, but it was a profound dream. Absolutely. Um, and, and your, um, 
what you're calling help that that expressive and responsive functioning that I was saying mm -hmm. you realized happened without a self making an intention right that it just it just functioned that way that was the awesome part of it when I woke up after yeah. I sort of thought about it yeah mm -hmm. and that's sort of stayed with me you know the last week just realizing mm -hmm. what I used to see myself as doing is going to look different now you know someone asked me to sponsor them and I had to I said no which is you know that mm -hmm. and that sort of was what sort of started this whole thinking thing but it's fine. <laughs> That's right. It's we're immensely limited and infinite. And that combination is you can't figure out, but we get intimations of it through our practice, through our dreams, through our life. Especially when we open ourselves or open our hearts. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Good to see you. It's good to see you. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, there we go. We have your voice today, Richie, eh? Uh, hopefully, yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear me all right now? Yeah. That's Absolutely. Right. All the way from that little island of Scotland, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> I was just saying, uh, when you were talking about your dream, um, I, it reminded me of uh, actually a dream I had a couple of nights ago. It was a different sort of thing. But I was I was with a friend and there was these people walking past. And for some reason, I, I seemed to be very wise in the dream, which I'm not normally. But, <laughs> and I was explaining what enlightenment is and um, how what awakening meant. And it, it was... Um, as I was explaining, it was there was like these flashes of, and it was illuminating things that you're not normally mm -hmm. aware of. And my friend was going, "Oh, oh, wow! I, I see what you mean." And that, and then it woke up, but it stayed with me. The dream stayed with me, and I didn't really understand what what it was about. And then actually today, I was reading something, and then it all sort of clicked, and um, it made me think. Um, what it is is like our minds are all made up of lots of different consciousnesses. It's mm -hmm. like you've got. Um, hand consciousness, foot consciousness, uh, leg consciousness, eye consciousness, all these different consciousnesses. So yeah. there isn't actually one mind. There's lots of different minds there. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when you get an insight into something or when you see something um, or you feel, it depends how many of those consciousnesses are paying attention at the time <laughs> to see how deeply it goes um, down. Sometimes they're not, not all of them are paying attention to what's going on. That's why you, you get this profound feeling and, and then suddenly you come down from it and you're back to, back to this, um, that, that part of you that's always criticizing things or feels averse or is still, still there. And it made me understand what, I don't know if I'm explaining this very well, but each time you have a glimpse, a glimpse of it, it's like more of these consciousnesses wake up to it and they see, and then the more that that happens, the more unified the mind becomes. And, um, and I guess, that's like, um, I was wondering if that's what the Buddha meant when he was talking about you can awaken and then, but there's still a remainder and then some people awaken and then there's no more remainder. And I wonder if when it's no more remainder, that's when 
all of the mind is unified. There isn't any scattered consciousnesses anymore. They're all focused on the one thing. And when everything's focused, it's no longer projecting anything into, and then it's all very still and quiet. And yeah, I think that's the, 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 um, the best kind of description we have uh, of what goes on. The experience might be different. It's, but what you're describing in an ordinary way is what you read in the Heart Sutra. All right. Okay. Yeah. 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 That we create this world out of this pile of things they call skandhas, all these different consciousnesses. And it isn't located just in the eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind, you know. And yet, and yet, it's all perfectly flowing along. Our particular small perspective can't contain it, doesn't control it, and also doesn't break it up. But we can, sort of like Monica was saying, you can flow with it. And uh, the more of ourselves are in alignment with it, the better it goes, and the less, not so much. So I yeah, hope I'm that's it. getting yeah, what you're saying. Yeah, that's it. Good. I think that's great, great to hear your dream, too. I wanted to share it because there was another, uh, because I thought someone else might appreciate it as well. Yeah. That's why I wanted to, to share it well, as well. And like we know, I think I said, you know, sometimes you have these dreams and in the light of day, it's like, it doesn't make any sense. It seemed yeah, to be good yeah. in the dream, but sometimes a little bit hangs on, doesn't it? And it's, and it's a, it's a nice gift. It's a bit of grace. I think I was trying to give my friend a bit of hope actually, because he was feeling a bit down that he'd gone back to his old self again and everything. And he was hoping to, and I was trying to explain, I was saying, just be patient. You have to be patient. Each time you get this flash of illumination, more of it pays attention and the, and the, that's right. The more unified it gets, and you just have to hang in there and not just just it's patience. Patience is difficult. I find it difficult. That's right, but it's a big win. And I I'm not so um, concerned about the no remainder bit. Who knows about that? If we can never get there, yeah. but I'll I'll take moments of awakening. Yeah, yeah. Thanks so much. It's good to hear your voice. Yeah, good to see you, mate. Take care. All right. Bye bye. Hi, Eileen. Hi. <clears throat> um, I appreciated Richie's sharing of his dream. Um, for me, the dream lots of time is um, reality sort of being like a backdrop flat painted in a play so that you look out and you just see things as they are, but maybe that, that's not the, quite the right expression. And so what I've been doing is I've been steeping myself in these matters of anti-racism mm -hmm. and you wind up going back to the causes and conditions, going back into the past and reading the history and the politics and the jurisprudence and a hundred years and 200 years. And get very, you can go back very deeply and very broadly and there's this really large, immense thing that I'm beginning to see uh, rather than this flat surface, right, of... All the ancient twisted karma. Yeah, yeah, yes, that. And so I'm wondering, you know, when you bring that forward into the moment or allow that to be the course that has led to this moment that I am called upon to engage. And we are talking about trying to 
create ourselves anew in each moment to meet that. I'm kind of struggling <laughs> with where I find myself having gathered all of this, you know, consciously desire to gather all of this. Sometimes I wonder, you wonder if even what you read about, even though it's authenticated and it's documented, you know, there'll be people who will say it isn't true. People, right, that don't, right, right. And then you think, well, I mean, is it? I mean, they say it is. So, I mean, is this a dream? But let's say it's not a dream. Let's say that this actually happened. And so here you are. And um, I still find myself struggling with what am I to do to meet this in a beneficial and skillful way. What shows up in front of you? Uh, a little bit of what shows up in front of me is I don't want to. I'm too lazy. I am. I oh, am those, are, those are self-reflections. What shows up in front of you? Oh. <laughs> that's, uh, all, that's all that matters is how you meet that. Is that really true? Not what you think about yourself. Is that really true, though, what you said, that all is all? All kind of things about ourselves, but ultimately what we well, meet and how we receive it and how we express ourselves to meet it, that, that receptive and expressive functioning. That's it. That's, that's aliveness. That, everything else is some idea. And it's, ideas are nice, and it's good to have, you know, this is a strange segue, I know, but I think that's why art is so important music, literature, other kinds of art, because there's a way in which we're attempting to express this thing without just saying, how do I functionally do? What, how, how do we make sense of this thing? I, I was just given recently uh, a link. It was in the New York Times on the website. I think you can find it pretty easily. It's called uh, Concerto as a Conversation. And it's about a young black composer who's written a concerto and it's premiered just in February of this year at the LA Philharmonic, the Disney Hall in Los Angeles. But the, con the conversation is between he and his grandfather who's dying of cancer, who grew up as a black man in the South and what he's talking about and reflecting on how he, how he lived his life and then he's proud of his grandson for doing this thing. Um, and then you hear this exquisite music that's produced, but it's no less exquisite than the story that the grandfather, it all starts being wrapped up, you know, and the care and the openness of my heart in response to it, all of that is what matters. Does that make sense? It makes me, makes me want to cry. And so that, that's how I felt when I watched it. I watched it twice and okay. uh, with more tissue the second time. But... Okay. Well, I appreciate. I guess what I'm trying to say is the, the, the reality of the lived experience that we can embody and carry forward is, is the meaning of what we're trying to understand. Not within our heads. Another strange story, if you will allow it. Back 20-something years ago, maybe a little longer, I, Aaron and I took my mom to Paris. Uh, and we were showing her the 
opera house, the original, the old opera house, with she wanted to see the Chagall ceiling. And so we were there and we were taking a look at it and having a tour. And then I noticed there was a an advertisement for something that was going to happen. And it was a ballet. I'm not a big fashion, not of a ballet particularly. The costumes had been uh, designed by a Cocteau and the the scenery, like you talked about, had been painted by, um, it just went out of my head, another famous artist, oh, Picasso. Mm. <laughs> and they were going to be brought out of storage in those, in the three small ballets that had been originally done with those costumes and that backdrop were going to be redone. So I bought tickets in the box seats right under the ceiling. Mm so we could take my mom and sit and watch these things uh, and it was a, a special moment but you could see that the the images were flat what they were wrapped in was beautiful but old but what came through what came through is what mattered how we could receive it and respond to it how I, that would happen in the art, how I could um, just be in a special moment with my mom. That's what mattered. I appreciate your perspective very much. Thank you. And she'll have her 90th birthday this month, which is a great celebration. <laughs> Hi, Darcy. You're still muted there, look. There you go. There you go. Thank you for your your precious words today. Very moving. Thank you. And some of the things that all the other people have said. And I, once I start listening to other people, I forget what, what I had raised my hand about in the first place. Me too. Everything Me too. just kind of all goes together, you know? Uh, it is all together. Yes. And that actually, thanks for reminding me. That's why I raised my hand. You were talking about no separate self. And you know, I have sort of worked on that for so long and not understanding it. And uh, I did, I wanted to share um, this week um, when I would, I, I found my, I could, I was feeling a lot of stress in my body. Mm -hmm. And in sitting, it, it seemed to, um, have to do with the you know the thoughts going through that all of this depends on me I've got to fix this you know mm -hmm. about me about me you're caught in that and, dream. Uh, it yes and it's such a painful dream and um instead of turning away from it I sat with it and it felt like pure terror Almost like um, I would imagine to die, like to leave this life. Um, 
And as I sat with that, um, it went to a, a nightmare, uh, actually a recurring nightmare I had as a child. And, and then I sat with that and all of a sudden I was lying on a sofa in my family living room with my head on my mother's lap and she was stroking my face and my hair. And, uh, and then it was like all of a sudden it wasn't, it was me stroking Kevin's face and hair. And it was, it was this intergenerational thing that it was, it was like, you know how those things that collapse and go out separate and collapse again? Mm -hmm. It became really clear to me that all of this is the same. And you were expressing mm -hmm. and you were receiving. Yes. That's the function. Yes. yes. And the yeah. terror of those small selves is a terror that I could, I'll die or other people will die if I don't take care of everything. And that's a very small yeah. perspective. Yes. But when you soften that and allow that flow, something else could happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to share that. Um, Thank you so much. It's very touching. Thank you. We're in it together. That's, that's right. That's for sure. Oh, I, I, know. I was trying to find the button. Yeah. <laughs> so much like Darcy, I, I'd forgotten what I um, initially raised my hand for, but oh my gosh, the synchronicity of life is amazing because in so many ways, everything that you said and has been said today connected and I have a new question and story, slightly new. And I need your help with this because, because if I'm correct, then I'd like to thank you. I seem to remember several talks ago, you asked us to do a longer meditation. And I seem to remember that in that meditation, was this you, Flint, asking us, what is inviting you? Did you ask that question? Mm -hmm. Oh, then. I think it was on election day. I think when we were uh, okay. not having so much inquiry, just sitting and. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And as I, I sought what was inviting me, I felt embodied life saying, come mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. And then 
whether it was that talk or another talk that you gave, because they're all amazing and wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I remember you saying, and I'm paraphrasing, this is how I embody mm -hmm. it. Stop fighting. Mm -hmm. And then, and I know people awaken from actual dreams, right. but I awakened from this dream in that instant. And it sort of went like this. There was life inviting me, embodied saying, come on. And then there was you saying, stop fighting. And what flashed before me, like in a nanosecond, was the way I had lived life all the years past. Mm -hmm. And the question that came out of my body was, and I, you know, I, I have to say this right now. I, I kind of don't even like using the word unskillfully because it seems there's a judgment even in the use of that word. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Because actually what we call unskillful is a judgment on how some of our protector parts are simply have been trying to take care of us. They were functioning just fine. Maybe they had a limited view. Yes. But I wouldn't use unskillful. So thank you. So I won't use that word. Thank you for giving me words. So I looked at how in a nanosecond, all this life flashed before me, including as you speak of mothers, two mothers, my biological mother, who um, did the best she could. And my marriage mom, my mother-in-law, who as we speak, is in the process of dying. She had a stroke. She's under hospice care. No, so all this life that involved me doing the best I could do in the moment and it not turning out very well because I was caught so much in my self-centered dream and everyone else's self-centered mm -hmm. dream. And the question just wrote what came up. What was that all for? What was all that fighting for? Mm -hmm. I mean, the internal and external um, juggling. And it brought back the words of my, my own dear mom as she died. And as she was dying, because of her mental illness, she had not only auditory, but the physical hallucinations, the mm -hmm. sensory hallucinations. And I was trying to describe, to say to her mom, but your feeling's not real. You know, it's just your mind playing tricks on you. And I remember in that moment, her looking at me saying, are you telling me my entire life has been a lie, a dream? None of what I remember is was real. Are you telling me my life was, and then she, she, she broke, mm -hmm. meant nothing. So here's the point I bring that all to. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the question. What is life inviting you to? Because in that moment, I had an awakening. Life called me embodied. Mm -hmm. And the quest and your, your stop fighting called me. And my mom took one approach to my telling her, this is not real. I'm taking another approach. Yes, I, I know it's not. And I know I need to hold it. Mm -hmm. And I know there is a um, coupled life. Right. And that's why 
when I was speaking of the Buddha's enlightenment, I said it, you could see that life was inherently deceptive, what your, the side your mother was speaking to. And at the same time, entirely complete and worthy of our unsparing love. They're, they're true at the same time. And just one last sentence. So now, as my other mother, my former mother-in-law, but I still love her as a mother, is dying. I call her every day. And for those five minutes that she can sustain, I am just with her wherever she wants to be. Yes, that's the functioning. Thank together, you. So. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nala. And I see that it's our time. So uh, there, there's always a little bit of a, a pain when I see that there are people who have their hands raised that we won't have time to, to speak to in this way, but maybe in the small groups afterwards, there'll be a time to, to be heard and, and to open ourselves to each other in the way that, that uh, this time and inquiry has made possible. It's, it's called open. So now we'll, we'll chant the verse of the robe, which has now a different meaning as we, we feel it, putting on that new newness. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction. Wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you so much for being with us today and for all those who came forward. It was really heartwarming uh, to connect. And for those of you that are less familiar with some of the chants that we do, uh, the full chant book is available on the Appamata web website, and you can download it and uh, receive it there. And I'll invite um, Jessica back uh, to end our time and encourage your uh, transition to the other uh, groups, if you'd like. Appamata's programs and facilities are supported through your generosity and your support makes a huge difference. So thank you all so much. You can make a contribution to Flint, to any of the teachers uh, and to Appamata for the facilities on the website at appamata.org. Thank you all, and um, please do feel free to join us at the After Inquiry, uh, which is also on the main calendar, um, starting right now, and I believe uh, led by the lovely Maria Boyd. Thank you. <laughs>